When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Will big tech be a big disappointment this earnings season? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. Sorry about that, Maggie. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't. I we always know that Tony's glued to his uh, his terminal and all of his all of his price action. And this is always a tough time of day because it's right yes. when things are closing. But um, as usual, we'll be taking questions, so you know what to do. Drop them in the chat, and we'll get to as many as we can. Uh, so, um, Tony, let's start with equities uh, because we didn't see a whole lot of action today, uh, but we do have. We are really going to get into the thick of earnings. Uh, this week, and we've got some really big tech ones um, on, you know, on the uh, schedule that I know a lot of people are going to be watching. Um, you know, the Nasdaq down a third of a percent today, but year to date, it's really been uh, it's been outperforming. I mean, it's it's up almost double what S and P is. How are you feeling about tech right now? Well, this is like the pullback in technology um, since tech you know broke out off the lows and reversed with the rate reversal that we saw in march you know so this month has been a little bit of a give back in that technology breakout um we've had in april for example we've had a slight tick higher in yields over the course of the month which has set technology sort of back behind the s p for um you know performance wise in the last couple of days um you know, I think that it, it, it basically speaks to the fact of whether rates are going to continue lower and the dollar is going to continue lower from here. You know, Maggie, that's sort of I'm, I'm centered very much in macro land while I'm watching the stock market rotate around 4100 in the S&P. But to me, the more, you know, the more important signals are going to come from watching the yield curve and from watching dollar. Quite honestly, you know, the yield curve is still buried at minus 60 basis points. Again, we're talking about twos, tens. Um, you know, we're expecting the curve to start steepening with this rate reversal that we're expecting, um, you know, from the price action in March. And right now, the yield curve is wedged between moving average support and moving average resistance. So until we break the range of sort of minus, call it 55 basis points at minus 70 basis points in twos, tens curve, we might do a lot of equity rotation around 4,100. So we'll see what happens. But I think my sense is, you know, that the path for yields the path is lower. The path for the dollar is still lower. Um, you know, we're in a situation now in the dollar index where it backed off to its lows of the year. Everyone is really max bearish with the um, de-dollarization theme yeah. that's going around. 
You know, today there was a fresh headline about, you know, 19 countries looking to join the BRICS, you know, and we've got Saudi Arabia in there now. And so it's getting, um, you know, the, the geopolitical complexion is certainly changing. You know, I don't know. I Similarly, I don't expect um, the dollar to resume, uh, to lose its reserve status anytime soon, but I do expect it to trade lower. So, you know, when we break that bottom of the range at 103 quarters, I believe it is in the dollar index, you know, then it'll shake up the market a little bit. But until then, it seems like we're really, really range bound across a lot of asset classes right now. Yeah, and really searching for the catalyst to get over it. But we know we've got some econ data next this week, including GDP and an important inflation uh, gauge um, on Friday. But then we have the big jobs number next week. And of course, then we're looking for Fed early May. Are you just in a holding pattern to that? Are you trying to position ahead of it? You know, how are you going to go into that meeting with so much uncertain, so much up in the air? Yeah, there is. You know, we're in the middle of a big economic battle between, you know, the big pending Western recession and, you know, China's reopening. And we know that their their sort of airlines are back to about 70 percent of the pre-lockdown capacity. Um, so that would be pretty optimistic going into um you know, the big golden week at the beginning of May when they go on vacation. So we'll see if jet fuel uh, jet fuel demand um, is there. Uh, but that's the battle that's going on right now. We, you know, with the curve down here, we have to expect, you know, downside surprises and economic data and a lot of turbulence to ride through. And that's exactly what we're seeing. You know, two weeks ago, we got that totally, totally benign inflation data across CPI and PPI. Um, then last week, we got a mixed bag of data all over the place. And, you know, we got housing data, we got some inflation data, um, and it was totally mixed. So there's nothing that's, you know, like you said, there's no catalyst to shake us out of this range immediately. I think that the theme that persists in the stock market in the U.S. is that, yes, we're heading toward a recession, which I really don't argue much with or about, and that, yes, that that's necessarily going to be negative for the S&P, which I have no idea where anybody comes up with that argument, but it's fine, you know? And so we need both sides, two sides to the market here. Sentiment feels negative to me. And, you know, that's why we're stuck here rotating around S&P 4,100 and not dunk down below it. It's because everybody's so negative and there are actually a couple of bull markets to be observed around the market. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a great recap, but it's kind of what everyone's grappling with. And timing is the really tough part, right? So as you say, everyone expecting a recession, a lot of people looking at China's reopening. Um, Andreas talked a lot about that for those of you who haven't got a chance um, in the latest Steno signals, not the one that's coming out this week, but the one that was out last week and you know what that might mean. But again, you've got this short term and then longer term. When does this all happen and how much do they offset each other? Kind of a tough call, especially in the shorter term, because I know you're folk. You you usually focus pretty short term. Yeah, that's why. That's why I want to. You know, I, I'm never you know terminally uh, bearish about activity because there are breakouts to be had on this tape. You know, we yeah. we just um, we just rotated into home builders, into ITB, into that ETF as it started breaking out. Um, you know, gold miners have broken out and are pulling back a little bit, but they're very much in play. You know, you've got to trade the the trades that the market's giving you now, and it feels like the market's giving you those rate trades that that happen when yields back off, and hopefully the curve steepens, but we don't know yet. Um, but if we are going to go into an easing cycle rather than in a tightening cycle, 
then you would expect to see some strength in gold and you'd expect to see strength in home builders with lower mortgage rates, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just trying to pragmatically and very tactically and carefully approach the trades that the market's giving us, Maggie. I think that's about the only thing I could do in this tape. Yeah, uh, I saw oil up today. We've talked about this because this is where you're also the timing issue. You know, you are structurally, I think it's fair to say bullish commodities in that in the sort of long term, that narrative. But short term, you've been also just letting the market show you where to go. Um, It looks like the oil market is paying a lot of attention to that China story. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to remain sort of structurally, structurally bullish, but flat in oil right now. Um, You know, no matter what, even with the OPEC plus output cuts a couple of weeks ago, we're still in a range, right? We're still in a sort of 75, 85 range. The oil market's, you know, hovering right below $80 now. So, you know, regardless of the output cuts, we haven't done anything technically to break the consolidation range. So until we do that, once again, you know, it's 75, 85 until further notice. So what's gone on more materially in the energy markets is that the crack spread has backed off from about 40 to around $30, which has been significant. The refiners are all sort of off of their highs now and testing their uptrends. So that's another one of the trades that the market's giving you, Maggie. If you believe in, you know, the uh, gasoline demand story globally, which has been, you know, the story that's kept the energy market propped up, then you can buy refiners on this dip. You know, they've all backed off the highs. The crack spread has gone from 40 to 30 for the fourth time this year. So if it stays in a range and trades back up, you'll see the refiners come back and make new highs. And we know that their margins have been dramatically expanded and that is filtering into earnings. So there's some upside to look for there too. There's there's opportunity. It's just kind of hidden in a lack of volatility right now, if that's fair to say, Maggie. Yeah, no. And a lot of people talking about that lack lack of volatility. In in fact, I think we had the VIX down again, right? I think it was, I think it is below, did it get below 17 again? Does that, are you watching that or is, is it, is there other stuff going on? I know a lot of people are talking about those one day um, options expirations and stuff. I mean, what, what do you think when you see the VIX like this? Yeah, well, the VIX, you know, our our mode to approach the VIX, Matthew, sorry, I'm just trying to get the chart in front of me so I can speak intelligently about the levels that we're trading. But, you know, my, our approach at, at TG Macro to the VIX is, you know, we want to be buying during the panic when the VIX is up above 30 and we want to be letting those purchases out when the VIX melts into the teens, right? So that's the general strategy. And, you know, sometimes the VIX melting into the teens is just enough to cause the market to sort of sell off because it doesn't have much downside from there. You know, it reaches the price of realized volatility and it's not going any lower. So what happens then is that you just see a reprieve in the VIX off of the lows and that just generally puts a little bit of pressure on stock market as they sort of back off the highs. So I think it's important to understand that down here, the downside in VIX is probably limited if anything, you want to watch it for, you know, consolidation and signs that, you know, it might pop sometime soon and maybe maybe hunt down that trade where there's a waterfall coming, you know, with the curve at minus 60 basis points, the VIX at 15, you know, you say, well, man, if there's an opportunity for me to put some equity hedges on, it's probably right now, you know, with the VIX super cheap and, and, and a thought process like that. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with that thought process. I think it's very, very important to understand not not as much to trade the VIX, but more importantly, know where the VIX is and why it's there. 
you know, so you can make educated decisions about the rest of your portfolio and, and you know, sort of really, really tactically decide how long you want to be, you know, in the stock market. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really intricate part of the tactical trading process, without a doubt. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, um, which you're always so great about sharing with us. Trillion X asking, Tony, would you buy the dip in tech? You know, I'm still of the mindset that this rate reversal in March was real right? That was a 12 sigma rate reversal. It's something as a trader that you think about and he wakes you up in the middle of the night and reminds you like that's what the market is still working off of, right? It's still working off of the fact that yields reversed with the Silicon Valley blow up, yields reversed with inflation dramatically backing off the highs. And while I do think that we are still in living in a world where we've got politically structural inflation, Mm. Central banks are, in fact, doing a good job at battling that, as we can see from the headline data, where there's absolutely no inflation scare in the number. Now, we pulled off, we pulled back from, say, nine to call it five and a half, six percent inflation or something like that. And, you know, once again, Maggie, I have to sound like a broken record, but if the administration is going to continue to push this move toward net zero as hard as they are, to me, that's politically structural inflation that at some point is going to creep back into the data and probably keep it from descending back all the way to 2% CPI, for example. You yeah. know, we probably find a level before that level off. And then I'm sure we'll see periods, you know, over the next 12 months where we'll see upside pressure on inflation again and maybe upside pressure in yields. But you know, that's the battle going on in the markets. And we're just trying to surf it here with uh, the securities that we're trading, you know? Yeah. My Michael Z asked a question. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to shorten it, Michael, and I hope I paraphrase you well, but um, sort of asking what happens if the Fed just pauses and holds on rates and, um, until something else breaks again uh, and brings up the fact that we're, you know, approaching that whole debt limit fiasco you know, uh, Again, dog and pony show in DC. Um, we do seem to always want think that they're either going to hike again or they're going to start cutting. What about that just extended period on pause? Is that is that priced in the market at all? You know, Maggie, that's a great point. I don't, I can't say whether or not that's priced in. I would say that that's something that's probably difficult to price in. Mm. But I could see a scenario where CPI has backed off the highs dramatically, right? I could see a scenario where CPI or PPI data gets persistently sticky up here and doesn't want to back off, but the Fed is in a position where they say, well, we don't really want to raise rates right now with the state that the economy is in or the state that the global economy is in. It might be a little bit precarious post-bank blow up to be raising rates right now. And so that, that could be a situation where inflation creeps back into the picture and turns the rates markets around, right? Turns, mm -hmm. turns the bond market into a bit of a sell-off. 
if the Fed doesn't do anything. So we'll see. I'm a believer that the short end of the curve is what's going to keep the Fed's hand to the fire in terms of inflation coming back into the picture. And we'll see if, you know, if the bat signal, otherwise known as two-year yield, starts taking off towards the highs again, we'll know that the commodity markets are going to hold the Fed's hand to the fire and try mm -hmm. to get another rate hike out of them. But that's not the way the interest rate markets are looking right now. So we'll see if we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 really tricky. And this is why we're going to just be, you know, hawking on that inflation data and just trying to tear it apart, because I think it is going to really hold the key. Um, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about sort of strategy uh, in this environment, because it is important. It's been choppy. A lot of people have been asking about getting stuck in the chop, what to do. We have asked people asking, should I buy the dip? I had uh, the chance to sit down with Andrew Rosner for my podcast on My Life in Four Trades, and he shared some of the lessons that he's learned over the years. Let's listen to a clip of that and then we'll talk on the other side. And simply losing less is easier than winning more. Losing less is easier than winning more. In the exact same way that cutting the, the fastest way to increase profits is not to grow revenue, it's to cut costs, right? It's the exact same thing. It, it, it's just applying the same principle to two different things. Just Winning, uh, losing less is easier than winning more. And so just if you can take money off the table, um, I do like the mantra of, you know, never sell everything, keep a little bit, you know, uh, 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 Jason Calacanis uh, uh, has a, a saying, he calls it schmuck insurance, you know, always keep 10% as schmuck insurance. <laughs> um, you know, you just never know, right? And I like that. I think that's an important mantra too. But really, just always, if you're winning, if you look at your PL and you go, I am up more than I ever expected, if you are looking at your PL with a big old smile on your face, that is the leading indicator that it's time to take some money off the table. Mm. Like, sure, let your winners ride, but take your initial principle off the table. The video version of that conversation is available on our website. Andrew has an amazing life story, um, including how he got started. Really, really sort of wild um, how he came to be an entrepreneur and a, and a VC investor now. And um, we also talk about a billion dollar missed opportunity. Basically, he left a billion dollars on a table from a deal. Um, and he talks about having to live with that, which is insane. Um, if you're not already a member, scan the QR code or you can listen to the podcast. Um, wherever you get your podcast. Um, but Tony, I know that's something that that you talk about a lot too, about trying to have the discipline to, you know, make sure that you are taking your profits when you need to, you know, looking at your portfolio, being honest, listening to the market signals like you were just talking about. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I kind of wrote about it this morning, you know, I, I was kind of struggling uh, to think about what to write to my um, subscribers. And I, you know, it got back into my basically into my routine when I started thinking about it. I was like, the reality is, is that I wake up Monday morning and I'm doing what I always do. I'm looking at my pad and then I'm looking at the market and I'm seeing what could kill me this week, mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to figure out like, you know, what could possibly go wrong with what I've got on the books. And that, that you know, that, that lends itself. You have to be a little creative, right? You have to think of things that haven't happened yet. You have to create scenarios in your mind that, you know, go against what you think, you know, to figure out what might blindside you. But at least that makes you 
prepared for sort of attack on your portfolio. And if you're prepared for an attack on your portfolio, then you have an escape plan and, you know, an emergency plan. And you have that plan for when you get punched in the mouth, like Mike Tyson says. Um, and then you can just react with no emotion, you know. And so that's kind of how I, I like to handle things at a certain level myself. And, and being as successful an entrepreneur as that gentleman has been, I'm not fading a thing that he has to say. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. But I, I do. I think it's it's fantastic advice, just, you know, making that part of your routine. Um, so we've got all kinds of questions coming in, but a lot of chat about the debt ceiling issues. So I just want to revisit that again. So, you know, there's debate about the timing. There's also, you know, everyone sort of knows they do it at the last minute, but there's always that concern about what if they get it wrong and, you know, what if they blow past it? How are you thinking about the risk around that? I don't, Maggie. You know, I really don't. Now, I understand that it has moved one month paper dramatically, right? The, you know, it's important to see what the debt ceiling conversation is doing to the markets, if it's doing anything into the markets. But I have a very broad noise cancellation policy on that whole discussion. In fact, I mute the words debt ceiling on Twitter because I do not want to hear the noise that they talk about going back and forth. As long as I have one eyeball on one month yields and I understand that they've been thrown for a loop due to this discussion. And I know that that kink in the one month curve is not affecting anything that I have on my pad immediately. I'm going to tell you that in a couple of weeks, we're not going to be talking about any debt ceiling. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, and that is usually the answer we always get from traders because <laughs> you've got you've to concentrate on what really matters. Um, so we have a question. I'm, I'm laughing. Looking, We have a question from Eric H., is there a level on MSOS that you cannot resist buying? And is that level $5? <laughs> I yeah. like that very specific ending of that. Uh, He's Eric. leading the witness. He's leading the witness. Um, I tell you, the cannabis market is just unbelievable right now, right? I mean, the baby is being thrown out with the bathwater. I, I don't know what to say. You know, I... Um, I reach out to my friend Jason Wild, who is one of the biggest operators in the industry, and I just tell him, I hope you're doing okay through all this. And it seems like he still has a smile on his face and it's business as usual for the physical, the actual multi-state operators in the stores themselves because they're busy with building inventory and building a business. But the industry is just bidless on Wall Street right now. So, you know, I wouldn't bid $5 if I've got a chance to bid $2 because that's the way it looks like the direction is going. And believe me, I understand at some level, the prices will get stupid. Um, they'll consolidate forever. The industry will lull everybody to sleep. And then all of a sudden, safe banking will pass and the world will change. But I'm kind of resigned, having gotten the scars, trying to play it from the long side. Um, I only give myself a couple of swings at that trade and then I'm out like any other baseball player. And right now I am sitting in the third row of the cannabis stands spectating <laughs> because I have no business trading the sector from the long side until I've got catalyst, proof of price action, proof of performance. I can draw a picture of the breakout on the chart that looks like all the other breakouts that I've seen in my life. And until I get all of that lined up, I'm sitting here watching cannabis go down, man. I don't know how else to do this. 
Yeah, it's funny. Uh, we haven't talked about it in a while because you you sort of basically said you took yourself out of it. But I got we got a couple questions on it today. So obviously things are getting to the point where people are interested. And if you're not familiar with MSOS, it's Advisor Shares Pure U.S. Cannabis ETF. Um, we have another specific. Somebody also said, "Wait a minute, it's not Tuesday," but that's okay. Uh, can the market? Nico's asking, can the market rally as small caps are still on the floor? Oh, Nico's good question, man. Um... You know, they were the epicenter of the post-Silicon Valley bank blow-up, right? So I would imagine that the stocks that are down due to that can stay down for a while. Um, man, you know, it's hard for me, it's hard to be for me to have a view on the Russell when I'm so focused on this NASDAQ trade. You know, I'm kind of focused on another trade at the moment, not the sort of Silicon Valley bank uh cleanup trade, but rather um I suppose a rather the lower interest rates spurring the home builders and technology sector trade. Yeah. So I guess since I'm chasing down down that angle, um, I don't have as strong a view on the small cap stocks. But I do think that the market can still work its way out of here and have the Russell be a sort of drag behind, you know, with all the small cap stuff that's still damaged and all the banks that may not rally out of the hole. Um, I just think that that's going to be a little temporary. Um, you know, a little tell in the markets now where small cap stocks are a little weaker. Yeah. You know, it's really, really, it's, it's it's tough to play coming out of the bank blow up and kind of having your eyes on the tape for another body floating to the top. But I think in the absence of another body floating to the top, we'll see them catch up and kind of get more back in line if that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 we will, you know, as the, as the weeks go on, a lot of attention on what this potential um, credit contraction will look like and what that might mean for small businesses as this bank situation plays out. Um, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Uh, this is a great question from Roger. What's a normal crack spread? Normal. Oh, so the normal range for the crack spread is anywhere between five and $15 historically, right? Um, that is the price where the refiners crack three barrels of WTI crude oil into two barrels of diesel fuel and one barrel of gasoline, right? During the Russian invasion a year ago of Ukraine, um, I guess the retaliation of the NATO invasion of Ukraine, if you want to look at it realistically, um, they got as high as $60. And that was just a function really of, you know, firm gasoline demand into a tighter refining market, right? The refinery output has been going full steam pretty much since then. And so that spread has just sort of been, um, I guess trading back and forth at the high end of this historic range between 30 and 40. And it's really because the global gasoline demand is still there. So as long as, you know, refineries are operating with margins that are three or four X their usual margins, that to me is the tip of the energy iceberg, tip of the energy sphere and a place that I can try to tactically trade from the long side, knowing that this is a sort of total anomaly in the earning structure for these refining companies. Great question. Thank you. We we had the right person here to ask that question to. So thanks for thanks for putting that in there, Roger. Um uh SBD758. <laughs> what gets oil to one hundred dollars a barrel or beyond? I think it's gonna wind up being that uh 
you know, China reopening to full steam, you know, China airline capacity getting closer to 100% of the pre-lockdown um, levels. I think we might, you know, if God forbid we see an economic uptick, uh, which is to me is a possible scenario. Everyone's looking forward to the recession, but I feel like the market has already seen a recession and is almost pining for the recovery, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the kind of, that's one of the trades that I'm going to be hunting um, I don't know if it happens next quarter or next year, but at some point that curve is going to start steepening again with an economic recovery in mind. And that's when we're going to get the chance to lean into all the industrial cyclicals um, and trades like that. And those are going to work like a charm and they may go on for months and months and months as we dig ourselves out of this economic malaise that we seem to be in. Um, but that's still a trade for another day. Right now, we're dealing with a range-bound yield curve buried at the lows of the move where we've got to expect economic snowballs going through the window and rattling the bond market. So as long as that's the case, I can't expect much upside in equities. Um, but once again, we'll, we'll roll out of this period and eventually we'll see that yield curve steepen and we'll have a different trade to hunt down. Uh, Sam, what does Tony think about silver or silver miners? Tough to fade them. Um, his, uh, generally, in uh, in my past, I, I I have I have chased the silver trade all over the screens and all over the board and all over the world. And I've bought the highs and bought the lows and laughed and cried and gotten killed and everything like that. But I have to tell you, the silver trade is a really difficult trade. It's still the rich man's casino trade. Um, I would I much prefer to give you my honest opinion to just be long physical silver and not think about it as much. Um, I understand that there could be some percentage gains to be had in the silver market and it's an undervalued precious metal, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that trade, I, I, like I said, I've chased it around so many times and, and I'm probably 50-50 on it over the course of my lifetime. So yeah, it's got potential just like gold does. And if gold doesn't get through that 2100 level and if sort of silver doesn't get through, I guess the top of the range at about 28 or so, we're going to be in for another story of a lot of disappointed precious metals bulls. And yeah. not to say that I'm rooting for that because I'm not. I hope that I, I, I'm a believer in gold and silver. I'm bullish gold and silver. I just tend to sort of stay away from silver the way I stay away from natural gas in that it is much more of a rich man's casino um, and I have much less of an edge in it than I think I do, if that's yeah. fair to say. And that is that that is a really humble thing to say too, because a lot of people get sucked up. I think that your description of chasing it around the world, it sounds like a, there's a rock lyric in there somewhere. Right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, it really is. There may be a song in that. I think so. Uh, speaking of natural gas, Yo-Yo asking, last time you said you could see natural gas at $1. Where are you now? It still looks like a random number generator to me. You know, it's it's definitely not trending. It is definitely consolidating and throwing bulls and bears off the track. You know, like we had a pop up to 230 that reeled in a whole bunch of new bulls and then we dashed everyone's hopes and traded down to $2 again. The bears got beer muscles and shorted it below $2 again and it popped to 235 again. It looks like it is a capital combustion area to me. And I think that I kind of want to stay away from it until it starts trending and proving itself. And I'm hoping that I recognize that because I've seen it go from two to 12 about five times in my career. So if yeah. that starts to happen again, I'm going to bet on myself to be able to get in there and clip a couple of percentage points of that move. Yeah, it's 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 the um, 
it's the, it's the sort of golden ticket, right? But it's a tough one, so you got to be careful. Uh, <laughs> one last possibly question. Possibly time, golden ticket. Yes. Paul, uh, this is our last question. Paul asked it early, so I want to make sure I get it in. Um, what did you make of the Bitcoin dip over the weekend while everything else held? Yeah, you know, I, I hate that Bitcoin trades over the weekend, so I don't know what to make of the dip over the weekend, <laughs> uh, you know, other than it's your guys' fault for letting them keep it open. So... <laughs> You know, it's it's hard for me still, you know, Bitcoin, it, it, it's got tremendous technical potential. It's got tremendous fundamental potential. You know, right now it feels like, you know, sort of on the, you know, I don't know, cultural, socio, I don't know, so political, socio mm -hmm. scale that the market is kind of clamoring for something like that, for that currency that's, you know, got no Fed governors and, and is really a, a, a fairer place to trade and, and to have your capital. But it continues to disappoint too. And it's got the US Gov at, as its arch enemy looking to float its own competitive, you know, digital currency at some point. So the the I'm, I'm just not that good of a cryptocurrency trader. You know, I can spot the breakout and I can smell when it's going to rally on the charts, but I just can't find what the real driver is in terms of you know where's my uh where where is my you know related trade like is it rallying because rates are going down is it rallying because the dollar is going down is it rallying because of the de-dollarization talk you know when i can't really get a handle on it i kind of stay away from it and that's where i am in cryptocurrency right now yep and it's the answer we got from a lot of folks um who who may for for the fantastic summary you just gave, but just say I can't understand it exactly, and so if I'm a trader, I can't really like you said predict. Then it, I, I've got to stay out of it for the moment. So far, I think I'm over three with questions they fired at me. I've been basically running from every security that anybody asks me about. <laughs> no, but the reasons why are priceless, and that's what you know. That this is a sort of I think mental framework that people have to operate on. You know, you can take a punt, but if you don't really understand it, um, it's a lot and, tougher. So we appreciate your honesty, Tony. Yeah, Absolutely. no, it's also, it also, you know, just it's worth mentioning just for to add some value is that, you know, when when you say, when you think about, you know, where, where do you want to put your money right now? And I was just on a podcast with three other guys that we call the Macro Avengers. And my friend Brent was like, I like cash. <laughs> you know, and that's perfectly reasonable. You know, it's perfectly reasonable to have a lot of cash on on hand and very few positions, because like we've gone over before, especially in that conversation with um, with Denise, where there's nothing better than having dry powder. So yeah. if you don't have an opinion, then have a lot of dry powder so that when something falls in your lap, you can trade it with a clear conscience and 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 from a fresh start. Yeah. You know, it's always kind of sloppy to have a scenario unfold on the screens. And you look at your pad and say, well, I don't really have room for that unless I rearrange this, get out of that, cut this down, you know, and that, that sort of takes away from the power of the trade, quite honestly. So it's it always valuable to have a lot of cash on the sidelines or to just be sitting in cash with no opinions. Right. And you can't trade everything well. So you have to trade the things that you know well. That's the other lesson that a lot of you share with us. And I think it's a really valuable, valuable one. You know, you've got to you've got to be in what you can understand. For sure. Absolutely. If you don't have an edge, keep your hands in your pockets. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're out of time, Tony. As always, fantastic to catch up with you. I know you're going to go have some fun tonight at the yeah, playoffs. So enjoy. That's right. Go Knicks. Go Knicks, everybody. Sorry for all you out there who may not be Team Nick. Um, but thanks to all of you for being with us as well. We'll be back tomorrow with Andy Constant. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.